Redemption is found when we bow at the feet of the Redeemer and humble ourselves under his authority. Just kidding. It's only four chapters, 82 or so verses. So it's not too bad. Um, we're in the book of Ruth. We're going to find out a lot of things as we dig into this book. I think this book is maybe the most underrated book in the Old Testament. It's one of my favorite books to teach. I feel like I learn more every single time I go through it. It really connects the beginning to the end. It makes the story of scripture make sense. It tells us a lot about God's providence and how he works through history, through things that just seem happenstance, God is definitely in control. Now, just to give you a little insight about what I mean, you know, this is a love story, and we're going to find out about a couple of people named Boaz and Ruth, but I myself have my own love story. I'm married to my wife named Juliet, and I, I absolutely love her, but I was on a path of wanting to be single forever. I just did not want to date. I was not interested in getting married. I was not interested in dating. Um, I thought that it would be best for me to just be a bachelor forever. My, you know, my term, my, my phrase, my motto was bachelor till rapture. That's what I wanted. Uh, I thought I could serve God better just by being by myself. Then I got married and found out how irresponsible I was without a spouse and how much better I got as a, you know, a teacher of God's word just because of the ability to uh, put tasks together and function as a normal human being uh, because I have someone who keeps a schedule next to me now. So God had other plans, but the way that we got together was I had this mindset of I'm, I'm not going to get married. And my wife uh, was just looking for a school to go to. She really wanted to play softball. She ended up going to St. John Fisher. She just happened to pick that school. She didn't get the scholarship she hoped for, but she was going to be on the team. Well, at that point in time, she made it to St. John Fisher. She didn't make the softball team as expected um, when she was supposed to be someone who was getting recruited out of high school. Um, but when she went to college, she didn't even make the team. That condition almost made her leave St. John Fisher because of how upset she was with the school of her choice to play the sport of her choice. Um, but that disappointment led her to a group of friends on campus who met together at Campus Crusade for Christ. And then her relationship with God grew through those friends. One of those friends just happened to go to the same church I attended. And that friend just so happened to invite her to our church um, because he thought that maybe they could get together at some point in time. And he was interested in her for a little bit. And then, you know, I married her. So, for the win. Uh, but all of these things just so happened, right? She's from New England. Why did she go out of state? And if she's going to go out of state, why would you only go to New York from New England? Why would you? If you're going to leave... Go somewhere where there's not snow, right? Uh, but she didn't. She came to St. John Fisher. She happened to meet 
a group of people through disappointment who led her to the church that I went to. Just all of these random circumstances that got me to a place uh, where I was finally ready to give up bachelor to rapture. Uh, and she was just in this place where she was growing with Christ, and that became very attractive to me. Uh, and we happened to meet just through this random set of circumstances. But maybe it's not random. Maybe God is always in control all the time. We're going to see a little bit of that as we go through the book of Ruth. So let's dig into it. Now, um, the book of Ruth is very interesting. It's one of two books in the entire Bible that's named after a woman, Esther and Ruth. It's one of two books in the entire Bible that's named after a Gentile. That would be Ruth and, in the New Testament, the book of Luke. It is the only book in the entire set of scriptures that's named after an ancestor of Jesus. So before we even look at the first verse, we should go, this book is interesting. It's unique. In an Old Testament society, it's named after a Gentile woman. Why was this scripture written and kept for us? Well, it tells us. As we go through it, we'll understand. Verse 1, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man from Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So we get a little bit of insight right away. We find out it's the time of the judges. Now, the book of Judges ends with this phrase, the very last verse in the book of Judges, which is the time frame of which this book takes place, says this, In those days there was no king, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Meaning, this was a time where there was no central authority, and people just did what they felt. They followed their own lusts and passions, meaning it was not a very righteous time. Yet somehow out of this comes this book. Out of that time frame comes this book and these people. Now a guy from Bethlehem, Judah, takes him, his wife, and his two sons, and he goes to the country of Moab. Now Moab is a cursed place in the Old Testament because the descendants, Moab are descendants of Lot from illegitimate relations. So they were cursed people. It even tells us in the book of Deuteronomy that the Moabites were not to enter into the house of worship. Um, But there's a famine in the land in Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem, the word in Hebrew, Bethlehem, means house of bread. So there's a famine in the house of bread, and they're looking over at the Dead Sea, across the Dead Sea to Moab, where it looks like It's green and lush. And so the grass looks greener on the other side, so he takes him and his wife, he leaves the house of bread and the house of God's promises, and they exile themselves to the cursed land of Moab. It says, The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Now, Uh, We're going to get into some of the names because they're important as we go through this book. Elimelech means, my God is king. So the guy who was named, my God is king. Now, when you were born in biblical times, your parents would either give you a name based on what they hoped for you or based on the circumstances of your birth. So Elimelech's parents must have really wanted him to understand and worship God. Now, Elimelech's name means, my God is king. Elimelech takes his family 
and removes them from the house of blessing to the house of curse, from Bethlehem, Judah, to Moab. Now, Naomi's name means pleasant, and then they named their two sons, Malon and Kilion. Right? Now, Malon means sickly, so probably not named after something they hoped for him, unless they really didn't like him. Uh, and Kilion means pining or crying. So I also imagine that that was something from his birth and not what they wanted for his life. Uh, but these two guys walked around with the names of uh, Sicko and Crybaby, and that was their life, and they somehow found wives. Uh, it says, <laughs> when they went to the country of Moab, they remained there, and Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. So good start to this book. Naomi's husband died, and she was left with her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. Their names were Orpah, which means stubborn. So that checks out. Uh, and the name of Ruth means friendly or friend. And they dwelt about ten years. They, they Then both Malon and Kilion also died, so the women survived their two sons and, uh, and her husband. So Naomi survived her two sons and her husband. So the first five... Uh, verses of the book of Ruth are like the first 10 minutes of the movie Up, if you've seen that, where it's just depressing for a really long time. Uh, you know, lose your spouse, lose your kids, uh, you're not even home, you've moved away from your family and now you're stuck there with nothing. Uh, so that's where we kick off this book. Now, at this point, she arose, Naomi, with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Isn't it interesting that God restored bread to the house of bread in Bethlehem? So she hears about that, and she decides she's going to go back home. So therefore, she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find uh, rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them and lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are, are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old uh, to have a husband, and if I should st say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you wait for them until they're grown? Would you rest restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, it grieves me very much for your sakes. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now what's happening? Naomi's going home. She's going back to Bethlehem. Her daughters-in-law very graciously say, we're going to go with you. And she says, why would you do that? Stay here. Get married in Moab. Now she's re She's rejecting them and telling them to stay. And she's also saying, I can't take care of you. The only way for me to take care of you would be through the law of Leverite marriage, meaning because we have experienced widowhood, our husbands have died, uh, the only way for us to regain any wealth or property is to get married, but I have no other sons for you to marry. I don't have any way to help you. And even if I had sons today... You're grown women. Are you willing to wait another 20 years to have a husband? I don't think so. So, no, 
Uh, she's trying to kick them away and, and get rid of them. And she's actually telling these girls to stay in a pagan land and worship pagan gods and get married uh, to men who worship falsely. So there's a lot going on here. There's a lot at stake. And she says the Lord hasn't dealt very well with her. So then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So Orpah leaves. So she's gone, but Ruth stays. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me not to you or to turn back from the following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. So Ruth clings to Naomi and says, no, no, no. I'm leaving my country. I'm becoming your daughter. I'm going to make my God your God. I'm going to worship the one true God, not stay with the pagans. In, in Moab, I'm going to go to you with Israel, but Naomi still has her heart turned away from God. Now, Naomi's an Israelite, and she's going back to Israel, but her, her heart is turned away from God. But Ruth is willing to open her heart to God as a Gentile and follow Naomi wherever she goes because she loves her. That's in verse 18 when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they uh, came to Bethlehem. And it happened that they had come to Bethlehem, that all the city was excited. And the women said, is this Naomi? So everyone's excited, Naomi's back. Now remember, her name means pleasant, and she happens to live up to this name. People are excited to see her. They're glad she's back. But Naomi says, she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitterness, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? Now keep this in mind. Naomi is an Israelite. She's returned to Israel, but in bitterness, still with her heart turned away from God. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now, uh, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So that's the end of chapter 1. Basically, we find out they're back after Passover, but likely just before the Feast of Pentecost. Chapter 2. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz, which means, in him is strength. So Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him, in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the family of Elimelech. Now, here we go. There happens to be a close relative who is a wealthy landowner named Boaz. Ruth, as it's written here, just so happened to come upon his field. Right? God's providence. She just so happened to end up in the place where she needed to be to meet the guy she needed to meet. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, 
The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Now, before we go any further, I would just like to say, could you imagine an interaction like that with your boss? The boss steps down into the fields where the manual laborers are working and just says, God bless you, and apparently was liked well enough for them to say, God bless you too, right back to him. This gives us an insight into Boaz's character and how much the people loved him, and he seems to be a servant leader because he's down in the fields with his workers. Now Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? Now what's really happening is every guy in this room understands is Ruth walked by and he went, did you see her? Who's that? Who is that? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers uh, and said, is this the young, uh, the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, it is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. They basically say, hey, Naomi's back. This is her daughter-in-law. She asked to reap in the fields, and we let her. So Boaz said to Ruth, he goes and he finds her, and he says, listen, my daughter, you, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field. Now that's interesting, before we even go further. Boaz, who, as we'll find out, plays a role in the redemption of Ruth and Naomi, as the kinsman redeemer, that's his title, the position that he holds, being a close relative of the family, he is a redeemer, says not to go in another field. I find that interesting because I think of Jesus' words where he says, I am the gate, no one comes in except through me, and how he is the shepherd, uh, and he protects his sheep, right? Those, This idea of, don't go to another field. You won't find what you need there. Jesus is the only way. Right now, Boaz is the only way for Ruth. Now, remember that this is the time of the judges, so wickedness exists all throughout Israel, but she just so happened to come across this wealthy landowner's field who happens to be a close relative and who also happens to be a righteous, good man who's not going to take advantage of her or let anybody else take advantage of her, where in other fields, because of the wickedness of Israel, that might happen. So he says, Nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from that the young men have drawn. So in a time of lawlessness in Israel, because it's the time of the judges, she just so luckily happened to find the righteous guy who happens to be the right guy because he's a close relative. Let's find out more. So she fell on her face and bowed down to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? That's important. Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and have begun have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. So Boaz's response is not only is he interested in Ruth because she walked by and he realized 
Yeah, she's pretty. He also hears about what she's done, and her character is attractive to him. And he says, because your good character is attractive in what you have done, and the fact that you're willing to come to the people of Israel under the one true God, may God bless you in that. And may you come under the wings of the one true God. A Gentile being brought under the wings of the God of Israel. We'll get more out of this as we go. So then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord. For you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, come here and eat the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. Let's not miss this moment. Boaz an ancestor of Jesus in the kingly line of Judah who happens to be the kinsman redeemer for Ruth. His role is redeemer. He's in the ancestry of Jesus. He certainly plays a picture of Jesus' role in this book. Has asked Ruth, the Gentile, to come sit at dinner with him to tip bread and wine. That should look like something to you. Communion. And it's very interesting, the parallels we see here. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Let her get, uh, gr- and also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So now he's also telling his workers to leave extra grain. So he's not worrying about profiting for himself as much as taking care of Ruth and Naomi. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley, like 30, 40 pounds. And she took it up and went out into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, so she uh, brought out and gave uh, gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today, and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So her mother-in-law, uh, so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who was not forsaken, his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. And the word close relatives in Hebrew is goel, meaning kinsman redeemer. The law is, when if a widow was left, She did not have ownership of the property, and so the wealth is gone. The only way to redeem that wealth is through the law of Leverite marriage in ancient Israel, which means a close relative, often a brother, would then marry the widow, and she would be redeemed, as well as the land would be redeemed. And so now she's saying, oh no, he's a close relative. He actually is someone who can fulfill this. We might actually be okay, because Boaz has taken notice of you, And so now Naomi's wheels are spinning and the customs she is going to teach Ruth. Ruth the Moabitess said, uh, He also said to me, You shall stay close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with these young women and that the people do not meet you in any other field. 
So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. So Naomi, the Israelite whose heart has been turned away from God and has returned to Israel, is now teaching her Gentile daughter-in-law the customs and the ways and telling her who the Redeemer is and not to go to any other field but his. And she's learning those customs from the Israelite. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My mother, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young woman you were with, is not our relative. In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So what's going on? Naomi's wheels have been spinning. She knows what's going on, and she says, Time to play matchmaker. I'm going to tell Ruth what to do. So therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself, Put on your best garments and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. Now, this sounds weird, but it will make sense in a minute. But what she's told her to do is to look as good as possible, wait until he's partied it up, and then go uncover his feet and lay down underneath them. That's the part where it's weird. Um, But we'll find out what that means in a second. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. Now, interestingly, Ruth doesn't question it. She just takes it and learns the customs and goes and follows and does what she's been taught to do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed. After Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself, and there was a woman lying at his feet, and he said, Who are you? Good question. If you wake up at midnight and something odd is touching your feet, you would have questions too. But here's what's happening. Now, in modern society, think of military garb or a pilot's coat. You know those those bars or notations uh, that give you a symbol of authority or rank? Well, in ancient Israel, a similar thing would happen. It's called the tzitzit, and it would sit at the hem of the garment at the bottom. And it would show the rank or authority of the person. And so she has uncovered Boaz's feet and sat under his garment, under the symbol of authority of Boaz. She has come to the feet of the Redeemer and humbled herself under his authority. That's the picture that's being painted here. And he understands what's happening because of what sits at the hem of his garment. And she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. And so even if she doesn't know what she's saying, Naomi told her what to say. And because he's a goel, when she says this, he goes, she's proposing to me. So even in biblical times, you know, it's not a modern thought, I guess. She proposed to, to Boaz. And he says, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, that you did not go after uh, young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now it is true I'm a close relative. However, there is one closer than I. Stay this night. In the morning it shall be that he will... 
If he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives, lie down until morning. So she has proposed, she's saying, will you redeem me? Boaz says, yes, I will, but there's a problem. There is one relative who is closer who needs to either accept or reject the duty of Redeemer first. So I'm going to go meet with him in the morning to see if he can redeem you. If he can't, I will. So Ruth lay at his feet under his authority. And mourning, and she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, Do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Also he said, Bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured out six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, These six ephahs of barley he gave me. And he said to me, Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And she said, Sit, my daughter, in, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. So she brings home wheat for her mother-in-law, for Naomi. And Naomi looks at what she has and says, Oh, this is happening today. You're going to know today what's being done. How does she know that? Here's a little custom or insight that we might have missed. Boaz gave her six ephahs of barley, and six ephahs, six bundles, made Naomi recognize that he would not rest. Why? Because God rested on the seventh day. So because he gave her six, it was sort of a clue that he would not rest until this matter was concluded. So now it's excitement, right? Remember the first five verses and how disappointing and depressing they were? Now we're at a whole different story. Everything's exciting. We're waiting. A marriage is, proposal has happened. The marriage is waiting. There's conflict. There's another re, potential redeemer. Can he do it? And we're at the height of the story. Chapter four, the conclusion. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke came by. So Boaz came, uh, said, come aside, friend, sit down here. And he came aside and sat down. Now, this is kind of a boss move by, uh, by Boaz, right? Now, the town gate is where the business is done. That's where judgments are done and legal things are done. Boaz, as a wealthy lander, landowner, goes and sits there. He waits until the close relative comes by and he goes, sit down, friend. Right? It just, it kind of reminds me of any boss scene in a movie, like a mob boss. <laughs> like, come sit at my table. Right? You know, and, and he does. He listens to him and he took the, he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. And the other ten guys listened too. Close relative, uh, then he said to the close relative, Naomi, now, pay attention to Boaz's words. When he's confronting the problem, he presents it, the information, in increments. He doesn't give it all away up front. He starts by saying, Naomi has come back from the country of Moab, sold uh, the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. Okay, so Naomi's back, Elimelech's dead, the land needs to be redeemed. This is all the guy knows at this point. So I thought I should inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants 
and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And the guy said, I will redeem it. So Boaz is given partial information. Naomi's back. She's a widow. Elimelech's died. The land needs to be redeemed. You're the next in line. If you won't do it, I will. Can you redeem it? Will you redeem it? Are you willing to do it? Yes. Then, big circle around then, because now we're going to get some extra information that changes things. Attitude shift. Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. Well, because Elimelech died, his sons inherited the land. So his sons would be the, the wife of his son would be the way to redeem it, not Naomi. So now he's got some extra information. In order to redeem the land, you need to buy it from Ruth, which means you need to marry Ruth. And Ruth is a Moabitess, which is prohibited in the law to marry a Moabite. So the close relative said, I can't redeem it. I cannot redeem it for myself. Lest I ruin my own inheritance, you redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, during the land tax seals on the outside, the property information was written on the inside, but the outside of the scroll had the conditions for which you could open it to be the redeemer. Now, in order to meet the conditions, you had to be a relative. Both of them fit the bill. You have to be willing. Both of them fit the bill. You have to be able to fulfill the conditions. Only Boaz is able. Why? We'll find out. So, uh, I cannot redeem it. So now this was the custom in former times in Israel, concerning and redeeming and exchanging to uh, confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and that was a confirmation in Israel. So that's weird. He takes off his sandal, gives it to Boaz, basically as a sign of shame that he could not meet the requirements of the, of the contract. So now Boaz can do what he wants to do. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's, all that was Kilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi, and moreover Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren, and from his position at the gate, you are witnesses this day. And all of the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel, and may you prosper in Ephratah, and may you be famous in Bethlehem. So the deal is done. Boaz is going to marry Ruth. Now there's a bit of a congratulatory speak to Boaz. Good for you. You've got the land. Now this traditional blessing of, may your house be like Rachel and Leah who built the house of Israel. And then the next verse, which also sounds nice, is not so nice. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. Now that sounds nice because the context matters. When they say, may your house be like the house of Perez, who bore a son to Judah, 
This is from Genesis 38, when Tamar pretended to be a prostitute and tricked Judah, and they had a son named Perez. And so Perez is an illegitimate son. And because of this, they're basically saying, you're marrying a foreigner, you're marrying a Moabitess, so we're kind of putting a curse on you. That's their intention. What they don't know is that they're also sharing a bit of prophecy that they're unaware of. Because the illegitimacy of Perez, according to Deuteronomy in chapter 23, verse 2, says this, No one of a forbidden union may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord. So they're putting a curse on their line because he's marrying a foreigner and saying, May no one in your house be able to enter the assembly of the Lord for ten generations. That's really what they're saying to Boaz, but let's see how that actually plays into the story. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception. She bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel, and may he be to you a restorer of life. So out of the descendants of Boaz and Ruth, they're asking for a restorer of life. Well, we know that a descendant of Boaz and Ruth happens to be Jesus, so that should uh, send off some alarm bells. But it says, And a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also, the neighbor women uh, gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they call his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse the father of David. So their son happens to be the grandfather of King David. Now here's where it gets interesting. Remember that they cursed the house of Perez to ten generations. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz. Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse. Jesse begot David. After ten generations is King David, the rightful king from the line of Judah who sits on the throne of Israel, who is the forerunner through which the Messiah must come. It just so happened that Ruth walked into a field. It just happened to be the right field at the right time with the right guy in the right place so that the Messiah could be born. Now that's all four chapters of that book, and there's a lot in there. So let's figure out what some of the lessons are. Now I mentioned the scroll. There was a scroll for the land ownership. Well, here's the interesting thing of how this book ties together all of Scripture for us. See, in the very beginning, Adam and Eve were given dominion over the earth. But they sinned and were kicked out of the Garden of Eden and removed from access to the Tree of Life. But then we see in the opposite end of Scripture, the book of Revelation. And the 24 elders are sitting around the throne in chapter 4 and 5, and they see a scroll, but no one is capable of opening the scroll until the Lamb who was slain comes along. And someone comes along who can open the scroll. And that scroll has writing on the inside and the outside and is sealed with wax seals. It looks like a land deed, 
like in the book of Ruth. It looks like the title deed to the earth that Adam forsook for his own sin. Who can redeem the earth and the people of the earth? Only Jesus can. Why? Because he's a relative. That's why God had to become flesh. He's a relative. He's willing. He proved that on the cross. And he's able because of the resurrection. Just like Boaz. We learn about God's authority and the just so happened. Because things happened just by circumstance, but it all works together to point us directly to God's word. We find out about Israel and the church in this book. See, Naomi represents Israel, Ruth the Gentile, and Boaz the Redeemer. Ruth the Gentile comes to know the Redeemer through her mother-in-law Naomi, who represents Israel. Israel returned to the land with her heart turned away from God. But even so, Israel taught the Gentile about the Redeemer. Israel was redeemed after the marriage to the Gentile bride. This looks like Romans 11, the eventual redemption plan of Israel, which happens in Romans 11, it says, in that this will continue to go on until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, which sounds like, in Revelation, the wedding supper of the Lamb, where Christ marries his bride, the church. And through that, after that, Jesus' return, where the Jews from Zechariah will look up on him whom they have pierced as he returns, and that remnant will come to faith in him. And so... The Gentile learns of the Redeemer through Israel, and Israel is redeemed through the Gentile bride. All of Scripture is found right in this little book. But what's the most important lesson? Well, i got two more, and they're both, I think, of equal importance. One is law versus grace. Now, there was a closer relative who could not redeem Ruth. The reason he could not redeem Ruth was because the law prohibited him from marrying a Gentile. So why is it that Boaz could marry Ruth? So the other relative, the closer relative, represents the law. The law is incapable of redemption. It can show you the requirements for redemption, but the law doesn't redeem you. Boaz, who represents Christ and grace, can redeem you. Why? Because Boaz's mother was Rahab, who also happened to be a Gentile. Because Boaz had Gentile blood, he wasn't under full submission to the law, and he could marry a Moabite and was able to redeem Ruth. What the law cannot accomplish, grace can. Jesus can What the, do what the law cannot do. And last but not least, where is that redemption found? The most important lesson from this book. Redemption is found when we bow at the feet of the Redeemer and humble ourselves under his authority. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this book and all of the depth and lessons inside of it. 
Thank you for all the twists and turns and the excitement and the anxiety of this book, but more importantly, thank you for the message hidden within it. Thank you for grace that can accomplish what the law can't. Thank you for our Redeemer, and thank you for your providence that brought him along just so happened that these two met at the right time, in the right place, to be the great grand, uh, grandparents of King David. God, thank you for being the Redeemer. Help us to be humble enough to come under your authority and to bow at your feet at the foot of the cross where grace is found. In Jesus' name, amen.